Hey. hey. You're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast. Where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Thanks so much for joining us again. My name's Amelia. Today we've got a super cool guest on the show. We've got Karen. She is a Stingray researcher and current PhD student. Welcome to the show, Kieran. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. It's going to be pretty cool, I think. We'll start off with hopefully an easy question. What is your job? Uh, My job is an interesting one, as you said. So I trained as a marine biologist, but I am working as a Stingray researcher. So that is what I'm doing as part of my PhD, which means that for the last few years, I've been going around and following stingrays in the environment to see where they're going and what they're eating. Yeah, right. So you've specifically been investigating stingray eating habits? Yeah, so I've been looking at what they're eating and where they're eating it so we can get an idea of how they're using different environments. And then I'm looking at the protective measures that are in place in areas like Moreton Bay. So there's a marine park there. And I'm looking to see if where they're eating crosses over where there is protected zones and then how effective that protection is for those stingrays. That's fantastic. And it just it just happens that I had a audience question that was about what stingrays eat. So do you reckon we could dive into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So they eat things that live down on the bottom. So I don't know if everyone's sort of gone out and had a look and seen what we call stingray pits. So they're like little dips in the sand and basically the stingrays get into the sand and dig it up a bit and shuffle under and they'll get out the things that live there like the worms, the crabs, the little prawns or fish. So that's what they like to eat. I don't know if I'm going to regret asking this. How do you find out what a stingray has been eating? (laughs) That's a good question and it's part of my research as well. So there's a couple of different ways. Um, Unfortunately, it involves having a look at their stomach contents. So if you really want to know what the stingray has been consuming, you have to get it out of their stomach. But another way that we do it is called stable isotope analysis and it's a lot less invasive and it also means that we don't have to take the stingray out of the environment, we can leave it there. And this just involves taking a tissue sample and then we run it through an analysis and that gives us some information on the vitamins and the minerals and the metals that are in the stingray's tissues, which we can trace back to their food source. Honestly, considering what I thought you were going to say, that sounds like... (laughs) That makes so much sense. Like that's that's such a good use of science to help help the stingrays find out what they're eating. Okay. So what does an average day at work look like for you? Like obviously the last couple of years will have been spent doing research and study, but yeah, what does that look like? Uh, Well, that can be very different and that's what I love about it. So even though I'm doing research, that doesn't mean that I'm stuck in an office somewhere. It means that I get to go out, get on a boat, go around to all different locations and spend time in the water and catching stingrays and tagging them and having a look at their environment. I get to take the tissue samples back to the lab and analyze them. So I get to spend time in there as well. And then obviously time at my desk writing and researching too, but also other things like travel for conferences. So it's really different and it's really diverse. And that's probably one of the reasons I love it so much. So there's definitely no one average day, which is always, or for a lot of people, that can be quite a good thing. 
<laughs> no, definitely not. So even just like last week, I spent the day in my office and then I got a phone call about stingrays washed up on the beach that I had to go and look after and get back in the water. So it's constantly changing, like you can never predict it. Fantastic. What happened to the stingrays? Um, a fisherman was pulling them out and throwing them on the sand and not putting them back in. So we had to go down and save them. Did Did they live? Yes, they did. <laughs> so lucky I know how to revive a stingray, but um, I wouldn't recommend touching them because of that barb. Yeah. How do you revive a stingray? How do you learn how to revive a stingray? Uh, well, because they're like sharks, a lot of them, they need to move to get water over their gills. So stingrays can actually pump it over their own gills. But um, if you want to do it quickly, you hold them sort of by the nose and then you drag them through the water so they get the water across their gills really quickly and then that gives them oxygen so they revive themselves. Fantastic and I hope everyone listening to this podcast is just taking a note of that. If you need to revive a stingray, avoid the barb and um, yeah, you can actually do it. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we say we usually will wrap a towel around their tails so a wet towel will protect you but I don't recommend it. Yeah, no. I imagine that there's quite a bit of skill to that particular activity. Yeah, it definitely took me a few years to learn that one. What are some of the skills that you need to be able to do the work that you're doing at the moment? Um, There's a few different ones. I think, like, obviously I need to be quite good with my critical thinking. So looking at situations and then analysing what I need to get out of it and how I'm going to do it. My organisational skills really need to be, you know, quite organised. If I'm going out in the field, I need to know what I'm bringing and know what I'm going to have out there because a lot of the times we're in very remote locations. Um, And then I think passion as well is a big one for me. If I didn't care about it so much, I think it would be a lot harder some days to get out there and do stuff, but I just care about it so much. So it really drives me. How did you come to be, like I'm assuming when you talk about passion, you're talking about passion specifically for stingrays as well. How did you come to be so passionate about stingrays? I actually always wanted to work with sharks. So when I first started uni, I was adamant that shark research was where I was going to be. And I did work with sharks for a number of years with great white sharks tagging them. And then I just happened to come across this project for stingrays. And as I did my PhD in it, I just kind of fell in love with them. And they're so under-researched that I could see there was a need that they needed more people researching and looking after them. And that's kind of how I developed that passion for them. That's fantastic. And they're also a little bit cute in their own way. (laughs) They are very cute. (laughs) For the people listening, what's who who might not be so across it and including myself what's the difference between like stingrays and the ray groups and then sharks uh, so we basically call stingrays cousins of sharks um i think i found a paper a long time ago that was written in the early 60s that first referred to stingrays as pancake sharks that's fantastic so, I really like that one. Yeah, I know. That's my favourite terminology for them is pancake sharks. But basically because they are just a shark that has been flattened. So they're very, very similar in morphology and their anatomy. They're just 
sit flat on the ground so that they could sit under the sand and not have to swim around all the time. So it was just how they adapted. Okay, so they're not they're not complete kind of aliens of each other. No, they're very closely related. And even among the different family groups of stingrays, they're very, very different in how they look and their sizes and their shapes and their colours but they're all fundamentally the same. They all can sit down on the bottom or they can glide through the water and swim and they have that skeleton made of cartilage. So, yeah, very, very similar to sharks and similar to each other, but broad range of colours and sizes. One of the other listener questions I had was something I wasn't aware of is that stingrays seem to be a bit, they're covered by like a mucus or a slime or at least the ones in Victoria are, as opposed to sharks, which are just sort of that kind of leathery, thing is that mucus a thing yeah it is so um most of them are covered in this mucus and it's just kind of acts like a sunscreen as a protection for them um so that they can stay because they do sit still in the sun for a long time under the sand so they can get sunburn or they can get burn or anything like that so the sharks tend to move more so they're not stuck in one place but stingrays need that extra protection they generate their own sunscreen that's way too cool yeah, they are very cool creatures. We Yeah, we need to make a Stingray Day happen. They deserve this. <laughs> oh, they so do. What are some things that you found through your research so far? What's, what's it sort of showing? Uh, basically, it's been showing that there's not enough research being done on stingrays and that globally a lot of their populations are in decline. So they're really highly threatened with extinction. So if something doesn't happen soon, to have greater protection on their populations and their numbers and the different species, we're going to start to see losses that we can't sort of reverse. What's driving those losses? Mostly humans. So we build in areas where they like to live. Their habitat is usually coastal areas and that's exactly where we want to live as well. So we'll build over the mangroves, build over the waterways so that we can have nice houses there, but we're displacing the stingrays. And then fishing and bycatch and overfishing as well. So stingrays really commonly get caught in trawlers and trawling nets and they don't survive well when they're pulled out of the water. So a lot of bycatch does occur and that can take out large numbers of stingrays at a short amount of time, which is really detrimental to their populations. Yeah, okay. With the loss of habitat and mangroves, that sort of stuff, is that their breeding grounds often? That's what we're thinking. So there's not a lot of research into that at the moment, which is one of the things that a lot of people have tried to look at. And that's part of what I've been looking at too. So having a look at the seasons and when the stingrays are there and what stingrays are around, if they're adults or if they're juveniles or if they're pups, so we can get an idea of their breeding seasons and if they're using that area for reproduction. It blows my mind that like I feel like I'm asking fairly basic questions and that the fact that we don't know those answers is is kind of, yeah is blowing my mind <laughs> it does that for me as well like I honestly when I first started working with stingrays I thought okay yeah there's going to be you know a bunch of information and there's only been one person in Moreton Bay in Queensland that studied stingrays before me so trying to find previous research to sort of base mine on and move forward was almost impossible why do you think they haven't been focused on like they're they're common they're sort of normal at least down here (laughs) they're definitely common I think it's um mainly because with marine biology it is still a relatively new field compared to terrestrial biology so 
it's only been in, you know, the last 70, 80 years that people have really started to investigate the oceans and then they try to focus on the species that are big and exciting and humans can interact with or are scary and, you know, come into shore. So they're the species that get a lot of interest. So your whales, sharks, like big sharks, and then manta rays, things like that get so much attention. But the smaller ones that people are only really starting to notice now haven't had that much attention. So we just don't know anything about them. Would it also be the case that if it was something that we tended to fish and eat a lot, there'd also be more focus on it? Yes and no. I've seen that with sharks. There are species that do get fished for food, like um, for fish and chip shops and stuff, that are quite endangered in not just here but in other parts of the world. But people don't do research on it except for fisheries. So there's still not quite a lot of information on biology and ecology. It's just how can we maintain this population for food source? So I think if we were eating stingrays, there would be a bit more information, but I think we'd still see a similar trend in it would only be how can we protect this population so that we can consume it. Yeah, sort of makes sense from a, makes sense from a very selfish perspective. Yeah. Why don't we eat stingrays? Um, I think in general we haven't really eaten stingrays because it hasn't sort of been something that's in our culture but in a lot of other cultures around the world, it is fairly common and people do eat stingrays. It's just for me, if I was going to think about it, I think about the general rule in the ocean is that the bigger something is, the more heavy metals and pollution it's absorbed into its body and it's not recommended to be eaten. So because stingrays live quite a long time, they do sort of accumulate a lot of this stuff in their tissues. So I don't think it would be too appetizing or too good for you that makes sense eating anything and like it sort of sounds like stingrays eat a lot of other animals so it's got the whole bioaccumulation thing going on as well yeah yeah definitely thank you for sharing all that okay how have you ended up doing this phd what was your path from say high school to where you are now I have a very different path so I actually left high school to go into journalism And from journalism, I went into PR and marketing, and that's where I thought I wanted to be. And I ended up having a beautiful job, and I sat in a nice high-rise office that looked over Brisbane River, and all I could think was, I want to be outside. I don't want to be inside anymore. So I left that job and went on a holiday. And while I was on the holiday, I would not get out of the water. And somebody told me that I should be a marine biologist and I'd never even contemplated it before. But in that moment, it just went, yeah, that's what I should do. So I came back and that's what I did. Fantastic. So you then went and did a bachelor's of marine biology? Yeah, so a bachelor of environmental science. I did that at Griffith University here on the Gold Coast. And then I majored in marine biology. And from that, I went straight on and did my honours. And then I kind of had a bit of a break where I was working with a shark researcher and was offered a job at Tangaluma Island Resort. So I worked feeding the dolphins and doing whale watches for a while. And then I got um, first class honours. So I was offered a scholarship to do my PhD. And that's how I got into the stingrays and the stingray project. Fantastic. It sounds like you've definitely lived some of the best bits of being a marine biologist with that. I think I have. I think I got very lucky. Are we allowed to ask what's going to come next? 
Yeah, definitely. So I'm wrapping up my PhD at the moment. I've probably got another six months left. And I've just really connected with what I've been doing in the last year and a half and have decided to continue to pursue that. So as soon as I finish this, I'm still going to be working with stingrays. I'm still going to go out, do some further research, really try and build on the knowledge around them so that I can help with the conservation in the future. Sounds fantastic. Have you got a job lined up? I don't have a job lined up in the typical sense of like, I'll have a nine to five job. With research and with doing your PhD, you have the opportunity to sort of create the job that you want. And you can do that by applying for research grants and being affiliated with universities and other organizations still that will help fund your research. And you can continue that way. So basically, I'm kind of creating the job that I want to do in the future by doing what I'm doing now. I love it. It's such a, it's proactive and yeah, it's, it's awesome. It can be hard when you, you can't just apply for a job on Seek or something, but it's also kind of exciting being able to shape something completely new. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen a lot of friends go through and they've gone and done jobs that they've got through Seek and stuff like that, and they just haven't been happy with it. And happiness in what I'm doing is a big thing for me. And I know that this is the path that will get me there. Well done on finding it. Thank you. <laughs> I love their career switch as well. That's like such a such a 180. Yeah, it actually came about from when I was little. I'd been watching a David Attenborough documentary and I said to my mum, that's what I want to do. I want to do what he's doing. And she told me, well, you need to be a journalist. So that's how I ended up in journalism. Completely forgot about the environment and animals for a few years and then reconnected with it. She wasn't wrong. <laughs> No, but it just wasn't the right path for me. Do you think, like, is that something you want to do in the future is combine the experience that you've got from your past of being able to communicate and share knowledge and then use that to help the world see how awesome stingrays are? Yeah, it definitely is. So the communication part of it has never left me and I'm very strong with how I write and my presentations and, you know, really passionate about communicating what I do to other people because I feel like it's one thing for me as a researcher and a scientist to talk to other scientists about what I do but if we're really going to make a difference people who aren't in this industry need to know about it as well so that they can incorporate you know aspects into their life that helps the environment helps the oceans so yeah I definitely want to pursue that part of it too. Fantastic we need more people it's great. Speaking of the marine impacts, like one of the big things that everyone's talking about at the moment is plastics in the ocean. Is that something you're seeing at all in stingrays, impacts of plastics? That's not something that I've seen personally or I've looked at because it hasn't been my field of research and I haven't really heard about it in the circles that I'm in. But given what I have heard myself about how widespread it is and how it's in almost every marine animal, marine creature and environment, I wouldn't be surprised if, if I did look at it, it would be there and I would find plastics in the stingrays too. Yeah, okay. That that makes sense. Like it's it's kind of pervasive. Yeah, I think it's so widespread now that it's just kind of a given. That's a bit sad to think, but I'm just wondering if there'd be a difference because they're foraging on the the ocean floor and in general plastics float maybe they'll be eating them less directly but they'll be eating creatures that have eaten the plastics 
Yeah, and not all plastics float as well. So the hard plastic, it breaks down into very small pieces and it does get mixed in with the sand and breaks down and you do see a lot of it over in the bay or on on the beaches as well. So I think even though you can't see it, there's very, very small bits all through and I think they would definitely be eating them. There'll be something there. What's something really, really cool about your work? What what gets you really excited to get up in the morning? I mean, I mean, you don't have to dive into cold water, but, you know, still, you still need to get up and probably have a f- early morning occasionally. I think it's because I never know what's going to happen and I never know what I'm going to see. Like, even just last week, I went out to do field work in an area that I've been going for four years. And I'd usually probably see about 70 stingrays around and that's kind of an average for what I'd see every time. But last week I went out and I lost count at over 300 stingrays. Like it was just crazy the amount that was there. I have never seen that many stingrays in one spot before. So it can be surprising and just that unknown and then that gratification of seeing something like that is just, yeah, that's what keeps me going. That's so cool. Do you have any idea what what caused that? Um, I'm <laughs> I'm trying not to speculate too much, but because obviously with COVID and everything, um, people haven't been using the area as much, so there hasn't been as much fishing and as much recreational use. Then the fish stocks have gone up a bit, which means there's a lot more food for the stingrays, which could mean that that's why there's more of them around in that area because there is a lot more food source for them. We won't get too excited, but it sounds like a nice theory. Yeah, we won't get too excited yet, but keep an eye on it. I'd be I'd be interested what other people have found like in other environments as well. Yeah, definitely. I haven't really had a look and seen too much around it, but you hear little things like that and especially I know we all saw on the news with, you know, like the canals in Venice clearing up and stuff. So definitely without humans around as much, there's definitely a bonus for the environment. Yeah, there's definitely been, I think, even just like heavily used camping spots and those sorts of things, like all that, all the animals that live there will have had a bit of a chance to have a break. Yeah, definitely. What's some advice you'd give maybe to yourself watching that uh, documentary when you're a kid? Like what's some advice that you wish you'd heard then? Um, I think the biggest piece of advice would be to just go for it, to just do you want to do like I have so many people when I meet them say to me oh I always wanted to be a marine biologist or that's what I wanted to do when I grew up and I just I want to say to them like you should have you could have like if you want to do it you should do it like we need more marine biologists we need more people out there learning more about our environments while we still can so I would just say go for it and do it and I feel like you're a really good example of someone who like you tried something else, it didn't work out and you've come back to it and it's really working out for you. It's not all over. Yeah, and it's never too late. No, it's definitely not. Like, I'm not a spring chicken. So I think, yeah, it's never too late to change paths, to do something new. Like if it's something that you care about, I think you should go for it. And it'll make getting up in the morning so much easier. Oh, it really does. <laughs> I love that advice and I hope there's some some young and maybe more mature people listening who hear that one as well. Is there any programs uh, for RAISE, like I'm thinking citizen science and that sort of stuff, like is there any way people who like stingrays but 
aren't in a position to do a PhD on them can somehow help the stingrays? Yeah, there definitely is. And this is one that I've just come across recently myself. But on Facebook, there's a group called the Ray Photography Group. And basically, it's just people who love stingrays just go on and put pictures of stingrays that they've seen and areas that they've seen them. And it's actually been really helpful in a scientific type of way. So I actually commented on one picture um, about these little rays and they were looking for someone to get tissue samples so that they could do a DNA analysis because they thought there was two different species and I happen to have the tissue samples in my lab so I've been able to provide them for the analysis and there's been other stories like people putting pictures of a stingray in a certain location that they've never seen in that location before and now other scientists are questioning the distribution of that stingray so Just by submitting photos, people can really help the scientists and the researchers that are on there with what they're doing. That's so cool to hear. It's like, it it sounds like it's pure grassroots citizen science, like genuine, unorganized, just sort of naturally forming. Yeah, definitely. Like I just joined it because I wanted to look at pictures of stingrays, but yeah, it ended up I had tissue samples to share and people had other information to share. There was even a guy that had shared pictures of a stingray that had been giving birth, which happened to be in one of my study sites. And I had no idea that that had happened in that site. So he was able to provide me with the time of year. So I knew when the stingrays were having pups in that region. That's fantastic. That's just, that's what social media being used for good. That's so cool. Definitely. I know I never would have imagined it, but yeah, this group has been invaluable. And There's groups like that for everything, like sharks and fish and whales and dolphins. Like, you never know what a simple picture could help. I'll grab a link to that Facebook page um, and include it in the show notes as well, because I think there'll definitely be some listeners who would love to take some photos of stingrays and share them. (laughs) That would be awesome. They they might be in Victoria, but we still have stingrays. Oh, no, this group's from all around the world, so... (laughs) Anywhere, anywhere someone sees a stingray, we all want to see it. I love it. So cool. Is there anything that you wish the general public either understood about your job or understood about stingrays? Like, is there misconceptions or myths that you really would like busted? With the stingrays, definitely. I just, I think I would love people to know that they're not scary and they're not dangerous. Like, You do hear of people that step on them and obviously, you know, their barb is venomous and it can cause quite a bad injury. And, you know, there's the what happened with Steve Irwin as well was really highly publicised. So I think if people understand that all of these are accidents and stingrays are generally shy and they don't want to interact with you, they'd rather just be getting out of your way. I think that's probably what I'd really like people to sort of understand the most. I feel like that's true with a whole lot of Australian animals. Oh, I guess it's not fair to say Australian because stingrays are obviously global, but most animals aren't actually aggressive. They just want to do their own thing and be left alone. And if you're poking them or blocking them from escaping and that sort of stuff, that's when bad things happen. Most aren't actually going to kind of hunt you down. No, I definitely agree with that. And especially in the marine world, like they have so much space that they can get away from you quickly if you just let them. Like you don't need to be sort of chasing them or encroaching on their space if you just let them be and they'll let you be. And then most of the time you get to witness something cool. They are very beautiful and elegant little critters. I do love them. (laughs) 
which is good because you've spent at least three years investigating them. Yeah, definitely. I think I should love them by this stage. I have a couple more uh, questions from listeners. Do you mind if I throw a a few of them at you? No, go ahead. I've got the question, why do rays jump? And specifically, why do Victorian ones seem not to jump? Like where they do the, the gorgeous gliding out of the water. I think it's the different species. So the rays that tend to jump are the eagle ray family. So they've got those long, tapered, pointy wings. So uh, not generally your manta rays because they're quite heavy. They wouldn't really make it too far out of the water. But like your spotted eagle rays, your cow nose rays, they're quite smaller and they can just come flying up and jump out of the water. So I've seen them do it when they're hunting so they can come up and sort of surprise their prey or they could just be doing if something's chasing them or they're chasing something. So not too sure on why they do it. But the other ones, the rounder sort of rays, they don't tend to jump because they just don't have that wing capacity and that wingspan to propel them out of the water and they like to move a lot more slowly across the ground. That makes sense. What might chase a stingray? Like what's going to eat one? I've seen a hammerhead shark eat one. Um, I've seen footage of killer whales eating them. So, yeah, lots of things will eat them, but generally the sharks will. I actually saw a turtle chasing a stingray last week, which is just something I never thought I'd see. (laughs) But, um, yeah, lots of things that are bigger will tend to eat them. So your bigger sharks and killer whales and dolphins as well. And you just said you saw a turtle chase one. Yeah, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen, but a big turtle, he was very, very big, was um, chasing the stingray. and We kind of thought they were just swimming near each other at first, but as we watched, we could see the turtle lunging at the stingray. So I don't know if the stingray had annoyed him or what was going on there, but he was definitely chasing the stingray. That would have been a sight, yep. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay, and one last question about the pupils in their eyes. They they appear to be horseshoe shaped, at least the ones in Victoria, some of them. Do all the rays that, that you're aware of have horseshoe shaped pupils? That's a really good question and I'm going to say no, but I'm not going to say that with a lot of confidence. <laughs> So I have seen lots of different pictures of eyes, some that look like sort of goat's eyes or, you know, different colours, but I haven't really concentrated on what the pupils look like, so I can't really answer that question, sorry. So to Alan, who asked that question, I am going to recommend that you head to the Ray Photography Group on Facebook, which we will link to, and you can do some investigation yourself, see what those pupils are looking like. Maybe ask some people for photos of ray pupils. I think that's a great idea. You'll definitely find some answers there. Uh, I imagine that could be a whole PhD in itself. (laughs) Not one I'm going to do, but there's there's one for someone else. I'm hoping we're going to have people a lot more excited by stingrays after this. I hope so. I feel like I'm like, you know, they have a crazy dog person or a crazy person I feel like I'm a crazy stingray person so I don't want to be the only one we could have a few more crazy stingray people I'd enjoy the company I think that's a lovely call out and I I think it's also something to be like it's a shame that there's not more research but it means that there's a huge amount of potential and if it's a field that you're a bit interested in like you can go go into this and potentially make a massive difference to what is known which is always really really cool about science 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the more people that want to come along and research stingrays and anything in the ocean, everybody's welcome. We definitely want you. Thank you. I think that's very important for people to hear. Have you got a shout out or a virtual high five for anyone for us? And maybe someone who's doing something really cool or been working through something tough? Yeah, I think I definitely need to say a big thank you for the stingrays. They always show up and they always make my job enjoyable and they always put a smile on my face. Fantastic. So listeners, we're we're all going to give high fives to stingrays, except not really because they need their space. So virtual high fives for the stingrays. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure and I've learned so much and I can't wait to share it with everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me talk about my stingrays and about my research as well. I definitely appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, you're an absolute gem of a human being and you should head over to avidresearch.com.au, sign up for our amazing email newsletter and get all the download on the upcoming episodes and maybe even get a bit of a sneak peek about what's coming next. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you should definitely subscribe. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify and even Google these days. Thanks. Thanks.